You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. serve in the hard place, the demanding place, the place where he's not appreciated or may even be persecuted. He serves in this place knowing that the time is short and eternity is long. He is willing to spend and to be spent. He's willing to work for excellence without becoming proud. He's willing to withstand criticism without becoming bitter. He's willing to be misjudged without becoming defensive, to withstand suffering without succumbing to self-pity. This is the cost of true How often do you put others before yourself? Human nature is selfish at its core. We like to think everyone else's purpose is to fulfill our needs. Pastor Dave reminds us today that true greatness is placing yourself last. Jesus is the epitome of greatness because he gave up everything in order that you might accept him. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 3 as he begins his message, True Greatness. Today we are going to continue in our study in the Gospel of John, and we are actually going to finish chapter 3, chapter 3 of the great Gospel of John. So if you will turn into your Bibles to chapter 3, specifically looking at verses 31 through 36, you'll notice that I'm not wearing my lapel mic. The way I deal with technology when it doesn't work is I break it. So... um, So I'm without my lapel mic today, so uh, hopefully it'll be okay. Let's uh, turn to God's Word and read God's Word. John chapter 3, verses 31 through 36. If you would read along silently, I'll read aloud. Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So we've been working our way through this glorious gospel of John. We're now coming to the end of chapter 3, which started with the conversation with Nicodemus. And as we worked our way through that, John has been recording Jesus' words. He's recording his own words. And now he's still recording the words of John the Baptist. And what we see is John the Baptist's final testimony regarding Jesus Christ. So when I looked at these verses and I read over them several times and I pondered on them, the first thing that came to my mind is, what is greatness? What determines that which is great? You know, the word greatness can mean many things. 
It can mean a large amount. It can mean a high rank. It could mean being prideful or have strength. It could also mean the amount of possessions that you have. And it also can mean the magnificent. But I believe that there are two types of greatness. Greatness that is perceived or false greatness and greatness that is true. Hence, the name of this message this morning is true greatness. Greatness is of man and the greatness of God. Let me read you this quote that I found. Quote, it's all about the greatness of God, not the significance of man. God made man small and the universe big to say something about himself. I like that. Man desires to be great. Man desires to be significant. Some have greatness thrust upon them, like those being born into a monarchy, like Prince William or Prince Harry. They're considered great because of their birthright. For others, greatness is pursued. It's something that they strive for. Many people are considered great if they have success in a particular field of endeavor, whether it be sports, entertainment, or in business. Now, these individuals receive great accolades. They have a huge portfolio, and they have a major influence upon others around them, and others who are around them see this as a perceived greatness, and they, being in awe of their greatness, submit to it. You might be asking, well, how do we submit to that? Well, you submit to their way of thinking. I mean, if one of the athletes who you like stands on there and says you have to eat this particular food, you automatically think that you should eat it. Because after all, he does, even though he's getting paid to say that. We submit to their way of dress. We submit to their way of fashion. Right or wrong. We even submit to their way of behavior. We do this because we perceive greatness and we want to emulate them. We want to be like them. There are others who think greatness is when you have an indelible mark. You've left an indelible mark on history, something that can never be forgotten. For example, if I mentioned the field of literature, you may say William Shakespeare. If I mentioned World War II, you may say Winston Churchill. They, they left an indelible mark. I'm sure that though, this greatness that these people acquired came at a very, very high cost. But I'm going to add that I believe that their greatness, as great as we may think they are, is false. It's a perceived greatness. It is greatness that is recognized by the world. It is the greatness of man. It's based on one's strength, abilities, pride, quality of mind, or even the greatest of one's possessions. It's not true greatness. It's false. And trust me when I say this, it's fleeting. It will not endure. It will not last. However, a true greatness does exist. A true greatness does exist. And true greatness is based on several things. It's based on love, it's based on holiness. It's based on dignity. It's based on eminence. It's based on power. And it's based on command. This is the greatness that man strives for. We want all these things so that we can be called great. 
but we cannot obtain it. It is out of our reach. True greatness is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. But there was a cost to that as well. Listen to this quote. The cost of true greatness is humble, selfless, sacrificial service. This describes Christ to a T. And the Christian who desires to be great and first in the kingdom is the one who is willing to serve in the hard place, the demanding place, the place where he's not appreciated or may even be persecuted. He serves in this place knowing that the time is short and eternity is long. He is willing to spend and to be spent. He's willing to work for excellence without becoming proud. He's willing to withstand criticism without becoming bitter. He's willing to be misjudged without becoming defensive. To withstand suffering without succumbing to self-pity. This is the cost of true greatness. When you read through the scriptures, particularly the gospels, Jesus changes the mindset of what we think makes something great. He changes the mindset in Luke 9, 48. The disciples are arguing amongst themselves who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus simply looks at them and says, hey, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the least. That doesn't compute. What? That's not worldly greatness. Being the lesser is not worldly greatness. Worldly greatness is being the best, being the one on top, being number one. John the Baptist embodies for us what true Christian greatness is when he said to his own disciples what we studied last time we looked at the Gospel of John in verse 30. He, Jesus, must increase, but I, John, must decrease. This should be something that every single one of us says. This should be something that every single one of us in our lives lives for. Jesus, increase in my life. As I stand before you today, my prayer is, Jesus, you increase, Dave, back up. Give the Lord room. That should be our cry. See, John's disciples wanted to exalt him. They wanted to lift him up. And as they were lifting him up, they wanted themselves to come along with him and be exalted together. But John only wanted to exalt the Christ. He only wanted to exalt Jesus Christ. And this is why I believe in Matthew 11, verse 11, Jesus himself says, among those born of women, there has not risen up one greater than John the Baptist. And then he says something that blows my mind. Then he says something that's completely uncomputable. And if this is technology, I might break it. He who is the least in the kingdom is greater than he. Though John was great, he was not born again under the new covenant because he lived and died before the completion of Jesus' work on the cross. Therefore, he did not enjoy the benefits of the new covenant like you and I. Spurgeon said this, quote, The least in the gospel stands on higher ground than the greatest under the law. So as we consider today's scriptures, we see this final testimony of the beloved John the Baptist regarding Jesus Christ. And in these six verses, we get a glimpse of what true greatness is. And if you're taking notes, I've painstakingly made everything begin with the D. <laughs> we'll see how that works out. 
As we begin our study, we look at verse 31. The first thing I see that Jesus possesses is a divine greatness. A divine greatness. Look at verse 31. He, Jesus, who comes from above is above all. He who is of earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. He who comes from above is above all. Jesus possesses a divine greatness. Jesus is divine. He being God came from heaven. He's above all. And why did he come? He came to show us the Father's will. What is the Father's will? That none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 Jesus came to show us the way to heaven. John 14.6 I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is divine. He is above all. He pre-existed everything. He has preeminence over everything, and he is the creator of all things. Remember, we studied in John 1, 3. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus' greatness lies in his deity. He has a divine greatness, and because he is God, we can trust in him. We can know that his witness is true, and we can rely on it. So the first thing I see here is that Jesus has a divine greatness. And the next thing I see that makes Jesus truly great is he speaks a divine dialogue. Look at 32a. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. Jesus speaks a divine dialogue. Jesus has, been, has seen the Father and declares the Father to us. Again, 1.18. No one has seen God at every t- any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him. And John 5.19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Jesus only speaks to us that which the Father has spoken to him. Jesus, the Son of God, does nothing independently. He is fully submitted to the Father's will. But this submission comes by choice. This submission comes by choice, not by coercion or not by inferior nature. The relationship between the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, and the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Son, is not based on master-slave or employer-employee. No, it's based on Father and Son, united by one thing, that's love. When Jesus spoke, he didn't speak theoretically. He didn't speak theoretically, he spoke experientially. He was there when Moses was lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Jesus was there. Jesus was there when Ezekiel prophesied to the wind about the dry bones. Remember what he said to the Pharisees? Before Abraham was, I am. And they got mad at him. What? They didn't understand this. And this is Jesus' testimony. He testifies of things he has seen and he has heard. It is not secondhand information. This is an eyewitness account. But as Jesus testifies of those things, no one receives his testimony. Look at the rest of the verse. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. Again, back in 1 John, verses 9 and 10. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. 
the Lord tells us, Rejoice evermore. In everything give thanks. Be holy, for I am holy. But sadly, mankind refuses his testimony. Mankind refuses this command. We say things like, I can't rejoice because I'm emotionally starved. I can't give thanks because I come from a dysfunctional family. I can't be holy because I'm codependent. You want to see the power of God working in your life. You must hear the word of God, and then you must accept it by faith. And then you must submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. And then put into practice that which the Lord commands you to do. Then and only then will you see his truth. Then and only then will you experience his power. Jesus has divine greatness, a divine dialogue. And next thing we see, John the Baptist tells us that Jesus is the divine truth. Look at verse 33. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. Jesus declares himself to be the truth. I am the way and the truth. He who receives his testimony certifies that God is true. When you receive the testimony of Jesus Christ, something happens inside. It's almost like the Holy Spirit puts a seal on your head. Accept it. Beloved. You, you get this stamp on your heart and you know everything's true. Those of you who had tons of questions, I urge you to accept Jesus Christ into your life. I urge you to look at him as Savior. I urge you and watch all the questions go away. Watch all the answers come forward because he is the answer. The Spirit of God was born to witness in your own heart the truth of God. The Spirit of God leads you into all truth, shows you and teaches you all things. There are things I just know are true. You say, how do you know they're true? Well, I know they're true. I accept them by faith, and I'm knowing that they are true. What did Jesus tell Thomas? Blessed are those, Thomas, who don't see, but yet believe. Oh, how blessed. That means, oh, how happy. There's a seal. The Spirit just bears witness to the truth. And you know what? In John's epistle, first epistle, in 1 John, I mean, he says this over and over again. And over, and I've got a couple verses here. Let me go through them. In 2.21, John writes this. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. John says you know it. Look at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. How about 3.5? And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. 4.2. By this you know the Spirit of God. And 5.13. These things I have written to you to believe in the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. When you accept Christ into your heart and when you totally submit to Him, you know. You know. Because falseness is driven away. You You know. And as your faith builds, you trust in him. And he proves himself time and time and time and time again. How many of you have gone through series of circumstances and Christ has showed himself strong every single time? And then you come to the next circumstance and you go, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Are you kidding me? Are you really kidding me with this? Look back. Look back and see how all along, every single time, Christ has been true and faithful all along in your lives. Why? Oh, why would he stop now? God has not changed. God has not changed. 
Jesus has the divine greatness, a divine dialogue, divine truth. The one who receives his testimony will proclaim loudly that God is true. When we believe God's commandments are true, his commandments become our enablements. I know enablements isn't a word, but it sounds good. When we believe it to be true, we are enabled by the Spirit to do the things of God. When we know it to be true, the one who refuses to excuse sin and the one who steps out in faith to flee youthful lust, the one who reckons the old man dead, will experience God's faithfulness every step along the way. Every step along the way. And if you don't believe me, try it. I challenge you. Jesus is true greatness because of his deity, his divine dialogue, his divine truth. And the next thing we see is Jesus' divine doctrine. Look at verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. Jesus carries the divine doctrine and knowledge of God the Father. Jesus was sent by God. Jesus speaks the word of God. The word of God is doctrine. Jesus speaks the words which come from the Father in John 12. In John 12, verses 49 and 50, Jesus says, For I have not spoken my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should say and what I should speak. And I know his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. It's a divine doctrine. And I pray, my prayer every Sunday I come up here, every Sunday I stand before you as I pray, God would show a divine doctrine to you. You don't want my doctrine, you want God's doctrine. You don't want my truth, you want God's truth. That's what's more important. We need to hear from God. We need to hear from God. In 14, in chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus said, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. I love it. God has commissioned Jesus with all authority. He's commissioned him with all power. He's commissioned him with all knowledge and with all strength. And to reject this witness is to reject the highest authority in the universe. If you reject this witness, you are rejecting God himself. So this true greatness of Jesus Christ, this true greatness of Jesus Christ comes from his very deity. It comes from his divine dialogue. It comes from his divine truth. It comes from his divine doctrine. And the next thing we see from his greatness, it comes from a divine dad. Look at the next verse, 35. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. As a loving father who knows how to give glorious and wonderful gifts, placed everything into Jesus' hand. Look at the power that Jesus possessed. You are a sure We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. 
You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.